the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. You know, I'm always uh, fascinated every day when I come on the air from this studio to sort of enter into a minor time warp in so much as the clock on my phone says it's 5.05, the clock on the wall says it's 5.06, and the clock on my desk says it's 5.04. So I guess take your pick, or or let's let's just divide it in the middle. We'll call it 5.05 and be done with it. Good afternoon to you. Well, ah, the woes of changing clocks every six months or so, even though it's been weeks since we've done it. But at any rate, <laughs> we uh, we need to get some synchronization going on around here. Hey, hope you're having a great day so far and a good week. Did you see that gorgeous sunset? About uh, 20 minutes ago, I noticed the operations manager had the lights shut off in his office. I said, what are you doing in there? He says, oh, he says I had to get better better photography here without any glare from the lights. Just an absolute brilliant orange glow over the hills in the west there along the peninsula. Just a spectacular sunset and a nice way to be reminded that in the midst of all the troubles and trials we're facing these days, that God is still on the throne and that the splendor of his creation still resides all about us as a testimony to his glory and a gift to all of us to enjoy. All right, well, let's get down to cases here. A little bit later on, our good friend Shelley Beach is going to drop by for a visit. This time of the year is not a pleasant time to be dealing with challenges with maybe a loved one who has been facing a diagnosis of dementia or Alzheimer's and going through the difficult process of deciding what to do with mom or dad, how to find the right place at the right price that's within the family budgets that will meet their needs. So many questions are raised by this process. And if you've been there, you're nodding your head knowingly. And if you haven't been there, but you're approaching it, uh, you're in for a big surprise. And I will tell you, anyone who informs you that you can just Google it to get more information, and while that is generally true, you'll also be overwhelmed by the number of choices. So where does one begin? What are some of the top questions you need to be asking when you're trying to find a place for mom or dad that will be healthy for them, safe for them? Well, we're going to talk about it. Shelly Beach has been down this road not once, not twice, but three times between her mother, her father, and one of her in-laws. So she's going to join us tonight with some nuggets of sage advice and wisdom. Also speaking of sage advice, Alex Perry from Vitucci and Associates will drop by momentarily to give us a bit of a look at uh, the meanderings of Wall Street these days. We're heading into, of course, the uh, closing weeks here of 2020. There are a number of steps that you need to be taking. Um, things like tax harvesting, preparation for uh, the coming new year, new administration changes all about us. And, of course, with that, making sure that you're staying on top of your investment choices to make sure that what's happening in your IRA, your 401K, is, in fact, in lockstep with your goals for retirement. So, Alex, to tell us more about what happened on Wall Street today, coming up in a bit. Uh, before we get down to serious stuff, let me mention a positive note. For those of us back in the day that used to travel by plane, I'll raise my hand to that. Haven't been on one in a long while, but back in the day, would oftentimes get frustrated by those of you that are dear animal lovers and wish to bring little Fluffy on board under the guise of being your service animal, when in fact your pet is not trained for anything, it's just a comfort to you. And I understand that. I would also tell you that sometimes relaxing in my king-size bed is a comfort to me, but 
I've never attempted to bring one aboard an airplane. Well, finally, it seems as if the uh, Department of Transportation has corrected a significant wrong done by the Americans with Disabilities Act a number of years ago that now requires that only legitimate service animals will be allowed aboard airplanes. So if you need your emotional support pet in order to get through the experience, you'll have to drive or take a train. Birds, cats, miniature horses will have to ride in the cargo hold where animals belong. And only legitimately trained service animals, not somebody for whom you've grabbed a certificate off the Internet for 25 bucks, but an actual legitimate service animal will be allowed aboard airplanes. That will make flying safer and saner for everybody. And believe me, I'm a pet lover. Pet animals, my goodness, I think pretty much all of my life, with the exception of a gap here and there. And many of you have um, perhaps been bored to tears with stories about my old English sheepdog. And as much as I love Dookie, comes time to travel, Dookie doesn't get to ride in the airplane. Just doesn't make sense. All right, another thing that's not going to make much sense to us, but we have to grin and bear it, is what seems to be in the very near horizon related to COVID-19. The governor today saying that he is pulling the emergency brake, telling we here in California to please stay inside. Probably some sound advice as we try to negotiate our way through this major peak in COVID cases and the threat to the um, capacity of our health care system to deal with it all. The order will immediately send all of us home, except those in essential services, once ICU capacity reaches below 15%. The governor suggested that while that is not in place yet, it will undoubtedly be soon, and once it is, we'll have to deal with it. We hear more on this story now from Mike Blount. Governor Gavin Newsom says once ICU capacity falls below 15% in one of five newly divided regions, the order will go into effect. We are implementing a stay-at-home order for three weeks. Under the guidelines, restaurants will only be allowed to serve takeout orders. Retail will operate at 20% capacity, and non-essential travel is prohibited. Several businesses would also immediately close, including hair salons, bars and wineries, and movie theaters. Mike Blunt, NBC News Radio. Now, of course, we've known this has been coming. They have been warning about this for months and months and months, and some of us heeded the warnings and did our extra best to make sure that we weren't putting ourselves and others at risk. We had very muted holiday gatherings. We didn't get on airplanes and all of that. And there were many others out there that said, nah, I don't need to do that. I don't believe in any of this. And I suppose at the end of the day is not really whether or not you believe in COVID-19, whether or not COVID-19 believes in you. And it does, by the way. No respecter of person. 270,000 Americans that were with us this time last year who aren't this year. It's an absolute tragedy. And the nation's top infectious disease expert is now encouraging Americans as we head into the Christmas and New Year's holidays to forego travel and stay home. Dr. Anthony Fauci warning Americans, don't travel, don't congregate together, adding that everyone should just hang on because the FDA is close to authorizing both Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines. We, of course, see records being broke every single day, and the concern here is to not so overtax the health care system that it's pushed to the limit. Might be a word of warning, too, for some authorities out there that like to dish out the advice but not take it. That runs the gambit from Mayor Breed of San Francisco to Mayor Licardo of San Jose to even our own governor, who is eager to tell people socially distant don't gather in groups, and then turn around and do the same thing themselves. Believers firmly in the thought of don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, Central Texas mayor is also under heat for the same thing, apologizing now for having been on vacation in Mexico while recording videos telling others not to travel due to coronavirus levels. I mean, people, really? 
I mean, is it, I, 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 I realize that this is difficult and inconvenient and it's been horrific and people have lost jobs and we've seen children stuck at home and all of that's been transpiring. It's a tragedy. And yet, if you are a student of history, you know that America's been through far worse. Ask anybody who lived through the Great Depression or World War II with rationing that went on from basically the start of the war for America in 1942 all the way through 1946, that included rationing on butter, sugar, gasoline, rubber, mandatory extra hours, six days a week, 10 hours a day, lights all darkened at dusk on the West Coast and the East Coast because of fear over potential raids. There were enormous sacrifices that we as Americans went through for the good of our nation, democracy. We were fighting wars that largely, aside from the attacks on the Aleutian Islands and Hawaii, were largely foreign wars on foreign soil vis-a-vis what was happening in Europe and in Asia. And yet for the good of others, for the good of democracy, we were willing to make the sacrifice. And yet here, not, not for the good of what's happening in Europe, but just the good of what's happening next door. We seem reticent to follow the rules or engage in a minor amount of sacrifice, and you'd rather believe in fantasies than true science and the medical experts. I'm saying listen to doctors of infectious disease, not podiatrists, for your medical advice when it comes to COVID. And just do the right thing. Wear the mask. Socially distant. We'll get through all of this, and we'll get through it sooner the harder others are willing, along with us, to do the right thing and make the sacrifice. And it's not just us here. I'll conclude this segment on this note. Folks in Delaware, literally the other side of the continent, are being told to stay home for the holidays. Their Governor John Carney issued an advisory starting December 14th, going through the 11th of January. Schools are urged to switch to online learning. Residents are being asked by the governor to do the right thing and not gather without, uh, and not gather with anyone outside of their home. It's a typo here. Make a note to the wire service. For those who do, masks will now be mandatory. The governor calling it a simple sacrifice to protect others. There you have it. All right, what's going on in the world of money? Wall Street, your money. We'll find out next. Alex Perry joins us around the corner. Help get us around that corner. Let's drop over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, we saw another uh, record today on Wall Street, though... uh, Shortly after that intraday high, we saw a bit of a slippage once again on Wall Street. Much of this in relationship to just concerns over COVID-19. We don't have a new financial plan to bail folks out. The current one in place will run out on December the 31st. And uh, there's a lot of talk in Washington, which they're good at, but not much action at this point. Along with that, of course, are concerns over um, word that Pfizer is having supply chain issues with its COVID-19 vaccine, which may mean some delays or at least uh, an increase in the initial outlay and distribution of vaccines. So let's get an idea as to uh, at the end of the day, how Wall Street reacted to all of this. Joining us is Premier Financial Advisor with Fatucci and Associates, Alex Perry. And Alex, how do we wind up on the day? Um, the day's been it's been an interesting day. It's been a uh, you know the Dow's been kind of flirting with thirty thousand. It ended up a little below today, and pretty much everything has been kind of flat, as if, like you said, it's holding their breath with what's going to happen next with COVID and how is the government really going to put forth the stimulus package is it going to be a new one what nobody really knows what's going on and then also wall street's kind of on the edge of their seats with regards to georgia what's going to happen in this runoff election in january is it going to be a republican-led senate with a majority or is it going to be a democrat-led senate that could put in a lot of these changes so wall street likes um they want they want wall street wants a republican house uh or senate so pardon me not a uh 
a liberal house. And we'll see how this goes in the next couple of months. It's going to be an interesting two months. It will indeed be. And, uh, you know, we'll all be singing that song, Georgia, on my mind (laughs) until such time as we get to the 5th of January. And, of course, as you say, there are so many moving parts here. What with the changes related to COVID-19, we saw um, a pretty spectacular um, Black Friday. But, of course, most of that is all online. So it's good news if you're an online retailer, if you're brick and mortar. uh, Boy, this is a year that you're going to soon want to forget. And much of this paradigm shift, too, I suppose to some degree may be permanent as more and more businesses find out, gee, we don't have to put people up in hotel rooms, fly them on airplanes and spend days and days and days to have a two-hour face-to-face meeting. We can just do a Zoom meeting. I thought it interesting to know that Salesforce, for example, uh, just cracked open the checkbook to a pretty significant tune. $28 billion investment as they have purchased the uh, business communication platform uh, platform, uh, Slack. I suppose, again, giving nod to the notion that much of these changes that we've been forced to live with, Alex, over the last many months are probably going to be viewed to some degrees as permanent, as the way we do business has changed. Uh, You really hit the nail on the head there with regards to the the limitations that um, I mean, work from home obviously is beneficial, but also you know that doesn't really replace an office environment. But at the same time, that expensive office building really drags down on the bottom line. And if you're able to be eighty percent as effective at home, I mean, understandably you're not going to have the plethora of snacks a lot of these tech companies have, and the kombucha bar and the whatever. But you're able to save a lot of money, and with this investment in Slack, and Slack being a major communication device amongst a lot of tech companies, a lot lot of my friends that work in tech use Slack religiously. It it offers a lot easy, seamless communication, and as we move maybe more towards a work-from-home kind of culture, that seems by the price tag there of $828 billion for um, an internal messaging app, which is a pretty hefty price to pay to send a, a message to an employee. Indeed so. Uh, and yet, uh, no doubt, message being received by investors who look at this and say, OK, we're, we're following uh, the trend line here. And as Pat mm-hmm. Tatucci often says, uh, rear view investing uh, serves absolutely no one. It needs to be that forward thinking, forward looking analysis so we can mm-hmm. kind of catch the wave, so to speak, uh, on the leading edge instead of, you know, kind of following what happened yesterday or last month or last year. With that thought in mind, we have approximately 27 days to go in the year. What are the things that you're reminding your clients to do as they consider the turn of the calendar page and some decisions perhaps that need to be made before December 31st to make sure that not only are our investments on track to catch that wave moving forward in the brand new year, but also taking advantage of uh, perhaps some tax strategy that needs to be done before the conclusion of December 31st? Um, you kind of just said everything you needed to say. Um, proper tax planning to make sure that if you're giving any money away to your kids or to charity, to, to give that before the end of the year and talk to, you, to your accountant about that. And also just taking a, a look at your assets right now. We've kind of bounced back since the March lows that we experienced when COVID really swept across our nation. And we kind of had a, a, a do-over in a sense, where a lot of people's 401ks were demolished in March and kind of had bounced back to almost to, um, to break even levels. That's a time to kind of be like, okay, well, we got a second chance. Now let's reevaluate our positions, our investments. Are we too risky now? Was that shit, like that, that sharp drop in March too much for me to handle? And these are all conversations to have with your advisor, or if you don't want to go out and talk to an industry professional to then kind of hone in on you what you want to do going into 2021, because strategies aren't the same as a lot of people had at the beginning of 2020. Obviously, COVID kind of threw everyone a curveball. And it really is, I guess, in that respect, then, as you point out, it threw everyone a curveball, including the professionals that were all saying, I don't know, this is uncharted territory. So if people like yourself, Alex, who live, eat, breathe, breathe, and sleep this seven days a week are scratching their heads, imagine a 
common everyday Joe like me or Nate that says, "Well, I don't know. I, I just want to make a little money, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm going to Las Vegas on the Hudson and spending tremendous amounts of money in stocks that might blow up in my face tomorrow." But at the same token, I don't want to be too conservative. I'm not really sure what to do, and I guess in that scenario, that's where getting some insight from a professional, experienced licensed advisor like yourself can really make the difference, can't it? it? It's just having a frank conversation and kind of taking a personal accountability of where you're at right now. What's, what, are your, what are your goals? How many more years now do you have reti- um, working towards retirement? Was it five years at the beginning of the year and now it's like, well, I've been working from home all year and I kind of just want to continue this kind of retirement lifestyle. I might be retiring earlier. I have clients that they were saying, I'm, not, I'm probably never going to retire and then now after this year and how crazy it's been, they're like, actually, I kind of want to get off this, you know, out of the rat race a little bit and enjoy myself because I don't know if my health's going to be compromised in 2021 or what really the future holds. And I kind of want to enjoy myself. And I've seen a little a transitional, a transition a lot amongst all my clients where they're kind of thinking a little bit more critically about what next year holds and it might be speeding up some timelines. And these are all questions to really talk to your financial advisor with, gauge your risk tolerance, how you're feeling, how your investments have been doing, and kind of talk, you know, frankly about what do you want to accomplish in 2021 and also 2022 and on. So if you want some advice, maybe um, have a second pair of eyes to uh, take a look at your current strategy and uh, give you a sense as to whether or not you're on track or maybe need some adjustments, or maybe there is no strategy in place and you just say, gee, I- I've, I've kind of gone it on my own, but now I'm recognizing that I might need some expert advice. Why not start with a complimentary portfolio review? Really, it's sort of a financial life checkup that's free for the asking. Alex Perry is happy to do it in any of the Bay Area offices of Vitucci and Associates. He you can also do it over the internet by phone, and uh, not only will he give you that complimentary uh, financial health and retirement plan review without cost or obligation, if you call today, he'll even hang your Christmas lights. Well, <laughs> that might be a slight exaggeration, so I won't make any promises with regard to hanging your Christmas lights, but he will give you that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review. And again, to do so, to schedule that appointment, just go to Don't Invest and Forget. Dot com. That's don't invest and forget dot com, or you can call toll free triple eight plan wise eight 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 P L A N W I S E or don't invest and forget dot com. Remember, never any cost or obligation, and we'll leave the Christmas light hanging up to you. Thanks to Alex Perry for being with us. Five thirty one on Lifeline. A look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's a statistic that tells an interesting story. The baby boomer generation, those born between 1946 and 1964, that equate to some nearly 86 million Americans. And you know, over the past many years, 10,000 baby boomers a day become eligible for Social Security. It is indeed the fastest and largest aspect of the U.S. population, and as America day by day grays more and more, it begs the question, what happens to the baby boomer generation when they reach the stage in life that they're no longer able to care for themselves, that through disease or illness or maybe the onset of something like dementia or Alzheimer's begins to rob baby boomers of their independence, yet they're still here, They're still contributing Americans. They're still people that are deserving of our care and our love. How do we go about managing through the difficult decisions, particularly if we're in that sandwich generation, caring for children and caring for older parents who might need some more help, who might need a long-term care facility, or maybe dementia or memory care if they've been diagnosed with dementia? Well, to help us work through many of these challenges, we're joined by multiple award-winning author Shelley Beach. Shelley has authored or co-authored over 15 best-selling books, and a number of them specifically on the topic of elder caregiving, including Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Ambushed by Grace, and It Is Well With My Soul. And Shelley, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. 
It's good to be here and talk to you, Craig. This is a challenge, as you and I were visiting for a moment off the air today, this is a challenge for so many that have older parents that they dearly love that are beginning to see mom and dad begin to deteriorate in terms of what they're physically capable of doing. Perhaps they've been besieged by illness or injury, coupled with that perhaps beginning to show signs of Alzheimer's or more specifically dementia. So now we recognize that they need a higher level of care, but unfortunately, not every family is necessarily equipped to say, hey, let's open up the spare bedroom and let mom or mom and dad move in. They'll just stay here. We'll care for them and we'll all be one big happy family. That might be a wonderful goal to work towards, but unfortunately for a good percentage of American families today, that's just not possible. That's true. Uh, they're are a lot of reasons why uh, people cannot take their loved ones into their home. And caring caring for your loved one doesn't necessarily mean you have to open your home. Um, caring for loved ones takes a, a lot of different forms. We're taking care of them across the country sometimes, and um, very often our care means putting them in a, in a residential facility. Wow. And, of course, in coming to that conclusion, it's a very painful one. We understand that removing a loved one from the family home that perhaps they have occupied for 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe even for some in this baby boomer generation, 50 years, it is an extreme mm -hmm. upheaval of what is their routine, their sense of sort of safety and security. And then, of course, for the family member, the caregiver making these decisions, boy, it opens up into questions of what's the best facility that can provide the best level of care in a proximity to the family home so we can still enjoy family get-togethers and visits. And then, of course, added to that concerns over not just the caliber and quality of care, but safety issues, both in terms of elder abuse and certainly so concerns in a day and age of COVID-19. And then the big dark cloud that hovers over all of this, and that is the finances. How are we going to pay for this all? Which, as anybody has ever looked into it, comes to quickly understand that most often staying in the presidential suite at the slickest hotel in town is probably a cheaper option than long-term care for a loved one. So kind of walk us through, if you would, some of the top-of-mind questions that we need to be asking based on your own experience with your mom and dad that you learned were the important questions to ask right at the start? Well, I I think that um, people need to understand that they uh, this is an educational process when you begin, and there are a lot of different moving parts to it, like you, you mentioned, all what all of those important parts. Um, I'm thinking of a friend right now uh, back in Michigan whose uh, husband has dementia, and she wants to have him in a in a, a facility very close to her home. But unfortunately, um, the limitations of her finances are going to limit where she can have him, and so she's probably going to have to make a decision based on finances, which is going to limit. Displacement, and he probably won't be as close as she's hoping. So sometimes the limits of reality and what we can actually do steer us in a different direction than what we desire. Uh, and we are always looking for the best for our loved one. And we also have to work with what we can actually do. So it's balancing those two things out and then understanding that um, it's not always one right choice. It has to do with um, making it the best choice that we can make and understanding that um, things may change and we may have to make a, a second choice like um, my family did for my mom. We made a, a first initial choice to put her in one facility and then discovered it wasn't a good match and that was okay. We made a different decision then. So, um, But doing your homework and investigating and I can offer some tools for kind of looking at the kinds of things we need to look at as we walk through this process. It sounds like then one of the first things we need to keep in mind is, um, well, number one, no one size fits all. 
meaning if you've heard from a friend, maybe an acquaintance at church that has mom or dad in a particular uh, long-term care scenario and they seem to be very pleased with it and things are working out well, well, that might be good for them. But depended upon both the, the emotional, mental, and physical needs of your loved one, that other facility that might be right for your friend's parent might be entirely the wrong choice for you. And then you said something, too, that I think is very important that maybe you can elaborate on. And that is that while we think of wanting to come up with a permanent solution for the well-being of mom or dad, that this can often be a very fluid situation where as circumstances change for them in their health or maybe advancement of things like dementia that what is the right choice today may not be still the same choice that's right for mom or dad six months or a year down the road that's very true um dementia particularly is a a a, a situation that takes our loved ones through different phases and so they need different types of care depending on where they are in in those different stages of the disease. And so very often we're able to keep them with us or they're able to stay in their homes for a period of time and be safe. And, um, and then we'll come to a stage where that's no longer the case and they may need to go into a residential situation and sometimes a, a, a dementia-specific type of care. Um, I know with both our father-in-law and with um, our mother and my dad, they were each in probably three to four different kinds of caregiving situations during the course of those final, you know, years of leaving their home. So um, our experience, my experience, is that we need to be flexible um, and understand that we make the decisions based on what their needs are, but we also have to consider our needs. There will come a a period of time, at least they did with us, when our parents were with us, but they were no longer safe in our home. I could no longer keep them safe with us, and so they had to go into a a care facility where they could get better care than I could provide for them at home. Award-winning author Shelley Beach is with us today. We're talking about the challenges of choosing the best care facility for your loved one as they reach that stage in life. Now, when we come back after a brief time out, we'll also share a number of resources that are available to you that kind of help you in this very involved, complicated decision-making process. We'll take this brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting today with best-selling author Shelley Beach. More information and available resources online at ShellyBeachOnline.com. And it's spelled just the way it sounds, S-H-E-L-L-Y, Beach, like enjoying a beautiful view of the beach, ShellyBeachOnline.com. We've been exploring the many challenges that we face as the baby boomer generation reaches retirement age or um, certainly for those of us that have parents or grandparents that have finally come to the point in life where they can no longer care for themselves. Maybe there's been an illness or an accident. Maybe they're beginning to develop signs of dementia, recognizing increased levels of care and perhaps a different living scenario that benefits them not only physically but emotionally and spiritually as well. And Shelley, as we mentioned before the break, this can be not only a very fluid situation, but a difficult one in terms of the numbers of options. And it almost seems like you need multiple layers of input here in making these decisions. And maybe you can elaborate upon that idea that you'll be getting input from the primary care physician, you'll be getting input from uh, certainly maybe a financial advisor as you're looking at family resources if you're in a position to to pay, pay for the care through uh, the the resources of the family and of course too as you mentioned the all important sense of the family knows mom or dad the best so having some input in terms of deciding what scenario is best for them really takes kind of a a group effort in a sense doesn't it it does and it it um, it help it helps if you can have kind of a a, a meeting or at least um, you know you want you definitely want to respect your your loved one's wishes their your desires 
uh, if they're at a point where um, where it's it's beyond their ability to express those, uh, it certainly is. It's hoped that at some point in a conversation, you've you've gotten um, a, kind of a, a thought from them as to know what they would what they would appreciate or enjoy. For for instance, you know, I I know that um, both of my parents were very social, and to be in an environment where they would have the opportunities to be involved in and in social activities would be important. And their faith was also very important to them. So um, to be placed in in, in settings where they could um, have chapel experiences or be taken out to go to church or uh, a faith-based care facility. Those kinds of things would have been important to them. Um, and it's also early on, it's, it's important to understand that it's very difficult and we probably should never make a promise to our loved one that we will never put them in a care facility because sometimes it's the best and the only place where they can be cared for safely and to the to the extent of their need, and um, and so doing that. And it's important, like you said, that we have to take into consideration the finances, and um, and you know how long uh, we're gonna have to make those finances work and um, and make them last and um, keeping them safe in a in a good facility. So. Um, a lot of things to consider. And like you said, Craig, I appreciate that you said just because a facility works well for someone's, uh, my best friends, you know, doesn't mean it's going to work well for particularly my, my mother or my father or my loved one. It just not, may not be a good fit for them. And let's touch on another issue here that I think is so critically important. I alluded a moment ago to COVID-19, and that certainly has changed and disrupted so much about life. And we've seen, as we did during the early onset of this back in March of this year, COVID-19 run through retirement facilities like wildfire, claiming hundreds of lives needlessly. So suddenly there's another dynamic here of not just the amenities and the proximity to the family home for visits and making sure that it's the kind of environment that will be healthy and safe for mom and dad from from their their particular individual needs, but also the broader question of issues of safety related to COVID-19 and issues of safety related to what is the rating of a given facility? And does a state like California, for example, really have the people and resources to routine go in and engage in inspections to make sure that a facility is run with health standards, safety standards, that there are protections in place for uh, the residents. I mean, there are so many issues related to just the overall quality of care that's also an important part of the consideration when you're choosing a facility may not be something that you can see from the outside. It might be a big, bright, shiny building, but don't assume because it is or it has a well-known name on on the uh, the roof that it's necessarily a place that is safe or protecting of its residents. That's true. I, I really recommend that, uh, that people look at uh, a resource. Um, it, it will be on my on my website and on uh, caregiving journey on Facebook, and it's called uh, your guide for choosing a nursing home, and it's provided by Medicare, and uh, it provides many resources, but among them is one called Nursing Home Compare, and if you put your zip code in, it'll bring up the different nursing home facilities in your area, and it rates them from one to five. Uh, on the programs and the level of care and from the the top-ranked ones down to the lowest-ranked ones. And it's a very valuable tool, um, and it it, it just it, it gives you an immediate sense of where the best quality is, and it gives you the criteria that they use for ranking them. And some of those have to do with um, the, the quality of care and, you know, uh, cleanliness and reporting issues and those kinds of things. Um, and there are, there are other tools that are also available that are important. Um, people may not know that they can call their state health department or their state licensing agency if they look in the blue pages of the phone book or on the Internet and you ask for written reports on the quality of care that are being given in local nursing homes. And you can actually see what um, what 
whether there are abuse reports, how many there are, um, what are the top ranked and lower ranked um, age, um, facilities in your area and um, investigate and look at the complaint reports that have been filed. And you can ask for the CMS form 2567 for those facilities. And they can be found again at Nursing Home Compare. And you can actually look for those forms and get information about quality of care. So, and ask also ask for at the nursing homes for their grievance procedures and their record of grievances. So those are ways to look at the more detailed um, issues of whether our people are being harmed or well cared for and um, those types of issues. So you're suggesting that we look a little bit deeper than just the surface. Many people will look at the location, the facilities, what the cost will be, the amenities, things of that sort. But you're suggesting that the, the secondary layer that's not so visible is also important to have a good understanding of before making a final decision for mom and dad. That includes when a facility has been inspected, how many violations has it racked up, what it's rating for things like food safety, fire safety, dispensing of medication, and then the staff. All of us, Shelley, that have dealt with a loved one that is dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia have known that they can oftentimes be, be difficult um, in terms of engagement mm-hmm. because they live in a little bit of a different reality, so to speak. And so, you know, when when you're surrounded by individuals that are faced by the same challenge, how does the staff react? Does the staff know how to manage patients that maybe get a little agitated or or tend to wander off, things of this Mm -hmm. sort? And understanding that kind of care and the treatment from a human standpoint is also very important, isn't it? Right. I I think it's important when you go in and, and visit a facility to ask them what kind of ongoing training they provide for their staff for interacting with um, with patients. Um, for instance, uh, when I was in California not long ago with, uh, with a friend of ours, Craig, uh, we were in a nursing home setting where, uh, where our friend's mother was the first hospice patient that had ever been in that nursing home. And uh, she had post-traumatic stress disorder. And so she was in the process of dying but she was also being triggered by certain things that were happening in the administration of, of of drugs and just things that were going on. And they and the staff was using loud voices as they interacted with her. They would shake her to wake her up, and it was very triggering to her. And they they didn't understand a a different approach to. Um, just speaking to her quietly in a different tone, and they really didn't have any training at all in how to um, handle patients who might have post-traumatic stress disorder. So I think there are many issues like that that are important for staff to be trained in. And just to ask when you're on a tour what kind of ongoing training they provide for their staff that will improve the quality of care in their nursing home. And um, that will help you assess the kind of care that would be going on there. We're visiting today with award-winning author Shelley Beach. We're talking about the challenges of choosing the best care facility for your loved one. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back with some closing comments and share some resources with you as well as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Best-selling author, dear friend, Shelley Beach is with us today on the program. Uh, You know, of course, Shelley from many of her award-winning books. And uh, today, sharing some insights from her own personal life experience in dealing with the challenges of um, both in-laws and her own parents who had to deal with, well, what we'll all face someday, and that is the challenges of growing old and whether that means illness and disease that perhaps slows us down and requires that we need more care, more attention to maybe at the extreme a diagnosis of dementia and of course how that impacts and changes so much of life not only for our loved one but even for the families, even for ourselves. Shelley, you've been sharing some great insights in terms of just sort of that that overall top of mind list of things we need to keep in mind 
when it comes to this process. And I suppose, again, it's initially going to be directed by family's interaction and experiences with mom or dad's behavior, what the doctor begins to notice and diagnose and would then recommend. When we start this process, is there any kind of a resource that provides sort of a, a, a top 10 or top 20 sort of a, a checklist that we can use when it comes to starting the process of looking? Where do we start? Who do we talk to? Who are some of the professionals that perhaps we ought to reach out to early on in this? For example, what about something like engaging the services of an elder care attorney that would look at such issues as assets? And if mom is not well, but dad is healthy, mom needs to go into a full-time care facility, but dad is still able to live on his own, how do you address the, the, the finances in that sense to be able to care for mom while at the same token protect dad's own health and future? Yes, uh, we found we found the um, the help of an elder care lawyer to be extremely beneficial to us because we everybody's financial situation is different, and uh, we had a mother with Alzheimer's who was going to probably require uh, care of a very certain type for a long period of time, and my father a different type, so we we found it. That, that spending the money on an elder care lawyer was, in the end, going to save us a great deal of money on behalf of my parents. So we we chose that that route to go and get that expertise and know how to best protect their assets for the long term. So looking for uh, an elder care lawyer, um, going and um, checking out, I think, uh, what I've mentioned, there's this, this document, uh, Your Guide for Choosing a nursing home on uh, on the Medicare website. I think um, checking uh, checking with your family doctor is an is an important step, and finding out to the best of your ability your loved one's wishes, and also begin begin early. Just finding out through asking other people in your community the um, the, the quality of care that they find. As their, as their loved ones have been staying in different facilities, what the quality of care seems to be, and, um, and then begin thinking about what would be the kind of facility that you think your, your loved one would need. Would they need skilled, skilled, nursing, skilled nursing? Would they uh, be okay in an assisted living situation or an independent apartment or uh, the type thinking through the, the type of facility that would be best for them, or if they're going to need dementia, specifically dementia care, maybe a small dementia care home, um, and then finding out what's available in your community by uh, going to Nursing Home Compare and looking for what's available in your area. Do you advise circumstances where it would be helpful to maybe engage the services of a consultant? And I ask that question because I know in my own experience, uh, our inclination is, well, I'll just Google it. <laughs> and you find it. It's like looking for chicken soup recipes on Google. Oh, you'll find them there. You'll find tens of hundreds of thousands. So now how do we go about sort of delineating the good ones from the bad ones, which taste more like mom and which feel like they came out of a can? So is it helpful under some circumstances to engage the services of a consultant that can help you kind of weed out, particularly if you live in a large metropolitan area like here in the San Francisco Bay Area, the hundreds and hundreds of choices and options out there? I begin by calling the Area Agency on Aging in and looking uh, again in in your in your phone book or your area um, in, the, in those blue pages, and talking to the area agency on aging about putting together a plan for your loved one, and they can help refer you to any local um, facilities and any local programs. They can help you put together programs that access uh, veterans benefits if your loved one is a veteran or other benefits that um, that would apply in their circumstances and they know what particular resources and government funding is available for your county in your area 
So that's always a great area to start, and you don't have to pay for those services. So it's always a great starting point. Bring us full circle. You've made reference to a number of resources. Some of this, I understand, you're going to make available on your website, ShellyBeachOnline.com. Again, for listeners, that's Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, ShellyBeachOnline.com. Maybe you can kind of just summarize for us some of the top-of-mind issues that we need to keep in mind as we start this process, and then share, if you would, some of the resources that will be available for our listeners at your website. Well, I think one thing I would I would would say is that there always is a tendency um, to feel guilt because we're we feel that we're we're taking our loved one away from something we're taking them out of their home and we're putting them in um, in a nursing facility or a care facility and that generally is something that people speak about in terms of like don't ever put me there. But we are doing the best to care for our loved one when we place them in an elder care facility. It's an act of love. It's an act of care. And so we have to learn to, to, to look at that and frame that in those terms and, and get away from false guilt and, um, you know, a true guilt for moral indiscretion, you know, like if we're if we're taking their money or if which, you know, we're not, we're doing something that's loving and kind. And so to not get caught up in false guilt and then to know that um, our decisions are made on our best judgment. Um, We can only go with our best judgment and there is so much information to try to sort through. Simply do the best job that you can begin with an area agency on aging or by looking through an elder care locator and looking for, information about about safety and fit and finances and uh, you can call your long-term care but um, ombudsperson that also can help you kind of weed you know go through the weeds on this and and, and come up with a good solution and um, m- make the best decision that you can getting input from your family members your loved one and 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 if you and you make a decision, you can always make another decision if if the first one isn't correct. It's okay. Um, and so, uh, gr- give yourself grace. Be o- be okay with giving yourself grace on this. So, lots of um, lots of um, agencies and phone numbers and and uh, websites that'll be provided for you um, if you go to my website and if you go to Caregiving Journey on Facebook that will um, help provide some of those things for you. Some lots and lots of tools. And again, Shelly knows where with she speaks, she's been down this road multiple times between both in-laws and her own parents. So she shares a lot of variable, valuable insights and resources from her own experience. So I want to uh, encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, Caregiving Journey, if they uh, do a search for that on Facebook, again, Caregiving Journey, or online at ShellyBeachOnline.com. That's ShellyBeachOnline.com. Well, Shelley, it's always an education and a privilege to spend some time with you and have you uh, open your heart and share from your uh, your life experience and your, your wisdom. We appreciate the time again today. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk. Shelley Beach, again, information available online. Simply go to ShelleyBeachOnline.com or check her out on Facebook, Caregiving Journey. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.